friends, it's Shauna, your nerdy girlfriend and life coach from simpleonpurpose.ca. Welcome to the Simple On Purpose podcast. Today I'm speaking with Andrea. Andrea is a registered dietitian and I asked her to come here and talk with me about our relationship to food and teaching our kids a healthy relationship to food. So I know Andrea through a podcast mastermind I was part of last fall. I have watched what she's done. I've watched her work. I know she is someone who is gentle and practical. She calls herself the anti-diet nutrition coach. So I know that her approach to food is very sustainable. And she has a podcast called Adventures in Feeding My Fam. And she does focus on the culture that we create in our family around food. I also had a secret motive in asking her on because I had questions on how to handle food with my own kids. I know that in how I approach treats and sugar and all of these things with my own kids, that I'm up against a lot of cultured rules I've adopted, how I was raised, my own biases. So I really want to be mindful of how I teach my kids about food, especially my daughter. I want to teach them the health of food without the shame of food. And this is a conversation I actually have with a lot of my mom friends and I get ideas from them. So maybe this is a conversation that you are having yourself as well. And I hope this episode will have some nuggets. I know it will. When I listened back to it, I was just kind of blown away at all of the little pieces of wisdom and practicality that Andrea has to offer us. So enjoy. Here is our conversation. Can you tell us about who you are and what you do? Oh, thank you. Uh, my name's Andrea, as you know, Shauna, and mm-hmm. I have been a registered dietitian for over 25 years, and my path has taken some zigs and zags, and initially started out just like general um, hospital dietitian, and then I worked in research for a while, and then now my path has taken me to work in a pediatric facility, mm. which in part, I became interested in doing that after I had kids. Yeah, yeah. So you're also working online. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. So yeah. I also work online. I have a business called Adventures in Feeding My Fam, which is also a podcast. Um, but my work focuses mostly on helping Busy women get food on the fa- on the table for their families, but also kind of addressing emotional eating, um, getting off the diet roller coaster, which many of us women have been mm-hmm. on for many, mm-hmm. many years, and doing that in a healthy, positive way and kind of reteaching a lot of trust of the body and trust in feeding ourselves and knowing how to feed our families really well as, to, as, as that goes as well too. Yeah. And I follow what you do and, and we know each other. So I know what you're doing online and doing some great workshops and some great coaching. And this is why I wanted you to come on the show because I coach women on all sorts of goals. And sometimes there's a common goal that they want to eat healthier and exercise more. And this is a goal that sounds really simple. And as we're coaching and they they decide the actions they're going to take and we set the goal. It's not like they just set a goal and do it. A lot of our coaching is on the roadblocks that have come up that prevent them from doing the things like eating healthier and exercising more. But I've also noticed a layer under that, that a major roadblock is their relationship to their body, which is directly related to our relationship to food. Like food is the key to get the body I want almost. And right, body image would be a whole other conversation. But as you've worked with women over the decades, what are some common struggles that you see women have when it comes to our relationship with food? That is a really good question, Shauna. 
Um, I see women, especially as they've kind of uh, fallen into motherhood, that emotional eating becomes um, a pretty significant story that uh, comes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And often that might be because of the stress from child rearing and that just for moms in general, like the day-to-day um, minutia of household keeping and taking care of kids is mostly thankless. Like we don't get a lot of appreciation for all the tasks that we're taking care of. And a lot of times folks will turn to food to kind of soothe those um, feelings of whether it's isolation or loneliness or um, just kind of giving ourselves a reward for doing a really good job putting your yes yeah anything like that. <laughs> um, so emotional eating tends to crop up probably even more than it has ever in one's life. And then certainly mm-hmm. after having kids, our bodies have gone through so many changes um, and often weight fluctuations and changes. And we have this feeling and sort of pressure from society to yeah. drop that weight. Yeah. And so this doesn't always drum up a lot of good feelings. And especially because our culture, diet culture in general, promotes like a very quick weight loss, immediate results. And the reality is that quick weight loss usually results in quick weight regain. Yes. um, Because we're doing it in a way that's really not sustainable. And often with a lot of restrictions that really can't be maintained. So that would say those are kind of the key things that I see crop up. Yeah. And I hear two things in there, like our relationship when it comes to food. One is, is this relationship where we can use it to manage our emotions. And that's something that I can so relate to. When I became a parent for the first time ever, I became an emotional eater. And it was something that I grew up seeing my mom do and kind of like not really understanding it and not really having any appreciation for it. But when I was in it, I was like, oh, it is so easy to get here. And then the other thing I hear you saying is our relationship with food is is a way that we control how our bodies look. And, and of course, we're controlling it how it looks because that's what people tell us it needs to look like. And so this whole thing that this whole like heaviness that food can have. Sometimes there's a lot of shame and fear at how we approach food. And I'll say in my experience, I hear a lot of women sharing their internal dialogue when we're coaching about food and exercise and all of this. And a lot of them will say, not always, but a lot of them will say that there was a caregiver in their life who really passed down a lot of these messages and a lot of these fears and we, we just know enough about attachment, right? Like to know that what our caregivers do and say affects our sense of worth and ourself, right? But as we do the work at recognizing it and looking at it, what are some of the ways you think that women can heal this kind of heritage that's passed down to us when it comes to food guilt and body shame? Shauna, I am so proud of you. Um, I know that you're a fantastic coach, but when I hear you talking about this, I I know that you have a really good pulse on the situation. Um, But yeah, it's actually true. Like 
typically when I work with folks who have a lot of shame or guilt around their eating habits, I ask them the question, think back to the first time that you were shamed or made to feel bad about what you eat or your body. Mm -hmm. And honestly, people come up with this so quickly. There is a typical memory that they have, whether it was an uncle kind of made them feel bad for, you know, choosing certain foods at a family barbecue or, you know, a variety of situations, but most women can come up with that memory. And the thing is, when you are eight or nine years old, it's not your fault, but we internalize it. And so that key event kind of becomes very, um, like kind of tells our story and shapes the way we think and feel about our bodies and about food in general. So we have this really, really long history of shame around, around it. And often that has been shaped up over literally decades. So to kind of get to the bottom of that and, and unpack it, it, it takes a long time because it is, like I said, decades of being shaped up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But how to heal it. um, I think typically what I do is I start with establishing a really sensible eating plan, like with balanced, consistent meals and snacks in a day. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I really encourage folks to kind of eliminate or drop the food rules that they've given themselves, whether it's, well, I can't eat carbs or I can never have dessert. I can't eat sugar. We, We tell ourselves and give ourselves tons of food rules. So I try to coach people to drop those because food rules that we give ourselves are really just um, very strong restriction that can't be can't be maintained. Like it's it's impossible to say, oh, I'm never going to have sugar again. Right? Yeah. Um, the psychology of it even is that you know you give yourself these strong restrictive parameters and your mind only can focus on that thing. So if you (laughs) say, I'm never going to have dessert again, all you think about is dessert. Yeah. So much mind over matter (laughs) that you can, that you, you can't like outwill, outwill that forever. Mm. So what happens is folks end up feeling, you know, the cravings or, um, that desired food kind of takes hold. We give into it and then we have really strong feelings of guilt, which just Mm -hmm. reinforce our deep seated feelings of shame. So now we've just proven to ourselves, yep, food is shameful. Food makes me feel bad. Makes me feel guilty. So it's really a process of kind of trying to break out of that really, really vicious cycle that, like I said, has been um, deep seated and established and has like really deep roots in us. Um, So establishing a healthy eating plan for sure, eliminating the food rules, 
And then I think it's really important to establish trust in your body again. And so learning how to be more aware when you're eating and learning how to listen to your hunger cues. And in a lot of cases, many, many women don't even know what that means anymore because it's been so they, you know, mentally given themselves so much anguish over feeling hungry, not to eat, do eat, you know, there's a lot of confusion. Yeah. Yeah. And we're just taking all of this into motherhood. And I really love that you say it's going to take time. I think that's kind of a pressure that we just put on ourselves. Like I should just be there already. And then we get so resistant to all the work that goes into doing it that, you know, we're not ever going to take the small little steps we could take, but we're kind of bringing all of this into motherhood. And now we have babies and toddlers and kids. And we think, oh, we have to make sure they eat healthy and that they eat well. Right. And now we're feeding all these people and we're trying to feed ourselves. And I know you work a lot with meal planning, which I think a lot of moms actually do struggle with, even though it sounds really simple, but what are some of the issues that you start to see when we're moms and we have to manage food for ourselves and everyone else? Ah, yeah. Um, So first of all, just to point out that, um, you know, you made a really good point a bit ago about like emotional eating as coping. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important aspect to kind of bring awareness to emotional eating is good. Think about, well, you're Canadian. So I I do (laughs) think you have a Thanksgiving, but I use this for an example, for my American friends, like you should have positive emotions about eating at Thanksgiving. Like you gather with people that you care about. You have a celebratory meal. That's, that's good. Like emotional eating in a positive way is really good. But when we use that phrase as, um, like a negative emotion, it's really that we are coping in some way. And so kind of looking at the triggers of what is causing this emotional eating and trying to get to the bottom of it, like how can you address that trigger when it pops up? Um, And how can you change your environment so that emotional eating trigger doesn't crop up or so that the next time it happens um, that, that it's easier to address. So I think that's one step in understanding kind of your, the way you're eating um, and handling food yourself, that that's really important. And that's really important in order to be a good uh, role model for your kids. Right. Um, I do encourage everybody to be um, encouraged, like uh, all foods fit into a healthy lifestyle. And I encourage that for our families, but we also want to have some parameters set around eating as far as, well, if we're having a dinner, you know, we're always going to have a vegetable. And when I say always, I don't mean always, like I will, I will admit that there are some days where, you know, we will have (laughs) eggs and toast for dinner, but the majority of the time it's going to be like what we think of as like a nice, well-rounded meal with a variety of different foods and just really encourage that this is what healthy eating looks like. And that me as a role model can 
comfortably and confidently try all these foods and I'm you know, not making faces when I eat Brussels sprouts, because then my kids will make faces when they eat Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Um, all of those types of things, for sure. I love that you have eggs and toast, because I think a lot of our like food drama comes from, it has to look a certain way, there has to be certain things on the plate, maybe I have to home make everything. And that can just build up just feeding your family into this kind of like big overwhelming thing but if it's like sometimes we have frozen peas and nachos like there's there's some vegetables happening in there we don't have to have it like fit the pie every single day kind of but we also as parents like we feel a lot of pressure to make sure our kids don't have the food issues that we had and and maybe I think if people like my era grew up having to finish everything on your plate mm-hmm. and sitting till you eat. And I, I don't do this with my kids. And um, my dad actually told me recently that he's like, oh, I was such an idiot for doing that. Like, I just wanted to be in charge. So I think that kind of feels like a control issue more than like, like you say, being mindful and thinking about what you're hungry for. And really, I never liked a lot of foods till like my 20s. So I don't want to like, I don't want to push my kids into that. I want to let them branch out as it naturally happens. But what do you think can help parents take out some of this drama, like out of dinner and out of all the vegetables and everything and making everyone eat everything? Right. First of all, your dad is so wise to have admitted that he thought that wasn't the best choice. <laughs> Humble, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I actually think, that's that's really interesting point that you brought up because when we are born, we have innate skills to know when we are hungry and not hungry. And mm-hmm. then as we age, there's so many things that happen that we lose those skills. And kind of, you know, one of those common things is being told that we have to clear our entire plate of food. You know, right. that is clearly telling us don't listen to how your body feels, just follow this rule. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah. But I just encourage families, you know, parents have a few rules, like their jobs are really to decide what's going to be served for the meal, um, when the meal is going to be, and the kids are really deciding how much and, um, and what they're going to eat. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I think you can have some parameters around meal times like if I'm okay with a family having a two bite rule or a three bite rule like you have to try everything on your plate yeah um, as long as it's done in a really positive way because we want meal times to be in general positive because first of all we don't as parents want to be miserable at the yet um but we also want um, the, the experience to be positive for everyone, because that's how kids become confident eaters. If Mm. mealtime is kind of riddled with stressful, anxious kind of feelings, that's going to be like counterproductive of what, um, actually we want to happen. Yeah. So, you know, as parents serving up those balanced meals and, um, being in charge of what goes on the plate and what time that's being served. And kids are really going to be the ones who decide 
how much of it to eat. And in most cases, um, with consistency and with parents that are modeling good behavior and positive um, mealtime um, environment, they're gonna they're gonna branch out on their own. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that the trap that folks get caught in is they might become short order cooks and prepare another meal that is more of a preferred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's just a situation where I really say that, well, in this case, you're not deciding what the food is. Right? Yeah. You kind of let the child decide what, what the food choice is. Mm-hmm. Um, I have gone through this with my one of my own children And I will say that, you know, she went through a phase where she wanted very specific things for dinner and she figured out that she could get her way. And I do remember one day saying, nope, these are the choices. Right. And um, there were tears and (laughs) we kind of got beyond it. And she ended up eating the food and saying, oh, I like this. Isn't that hilarious? Yeah, it (laughs) was. And I will tell you that afterwards, this, this whole thing made my husband like very uncomfortable. I remember him getting up from the table and like washing dishes because he just didn't know what to do. (laughs) And afterwards he told me like, this is when it was just the two of us. He's like, you were really mean. And I said, (laughs) I really wasn't mean. I didn't do anything mean. I just didn't give in to her request Mm -hmm. or demand at the time yeah and you know honestly since then I I don't I I think with some consistent consistency um yeah she's gotten to be a much more well-rounded eater than she was at that time and I think it brings up a conversation that we have in our house too, where you, you don't get to eat whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like it, I think we're very entitled around food that we think we should just get to eat what we feel like eating. And on one hand, it can be expensive. And on the other hand, like it's, it's just, I don't know. I, I think it's an entitled approach to eating, but it's what I struggle with. And now I see my kids kind of like, oh, but I want this and I want this. And we we have a similar approach. Like this is what's offered. If you want something else, go eat a carrot. <laughs> That's what we say. If you're still hungry, go eat a <laughs> carrot because <laughs> they all like carrots. I don't know. And I'll never complain about them eating too many carrots. Right. But But I think we do need to set some boundaries, right? And not make food be this like, it's a pleasure, but it doesn't have to be kind of an indulgence all the time, every day. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And then really good. how about dessert? There's some parents and I didn't grow up with dessert, but I know my mom did, but how about parents who are like, you can only have dessert when your plate is clear or having just having dessert in general. Yeah. Um, I think in general, I would say that dessert is more of like and every once in a while type of thing. So if you always have it on Friday night or your Sunday night meal, that's cool. But um, mm-hmm. I think for the most part, when we use food um, as a reward and right. in a situation where you were describing, like clear your plate and then you can have dessert. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a fan. I, I don't promote that because w- what we're doing is we're teaching our kids that what's on your plate is not the desirable food, but Mm -hmm. what 
but what's coming afterwards, the sweet treat or dessert food, that is the desirable thing. Yeah. Um, and that's not the lesson we want to want to teach. Um, but no fault of anyone's because this is like something that has been passed down and passed down from generations. This is what we saw. This is what our grandparents did. So no fault of anybody that they, if they do that, just try to reframe it so that, you know, we're not teaching our kids that that dessert is the preferred item and should be kind of the, the, the best thing that's out there. Yeah. What I do encourage, though, is when um, getting kids involved is really a great strategy. So especially with the meal planning component um, and depending on the age of your kids, like getting them involved in the actual food preparation, mm-hmm. um, meal planning. I try to say like, let's say you have three kids, everyone's sort of responsible for planning one night per week, let's say. Yeah. And so you're, first of all, you're divvying up some of the responsibility, but you can use that as a tool to teach good nutrition. Like, okay. So for example, if one of your, if you ask one of your children, Hey, you're in charge of planning Tuesday night's meal. um, They might say, Oh yeah, I want pizza, right? That's probably a good bet, right? Mm-hmm. Then you say, okay, how can we balance that meal out? Because we need some more variety besides just pizza. Mm-hmm. So now in this very kind of um, unobvious, like non-in-your-face way, you're giving them the lesson that a healthy meal includes a vegetable, a healthy meal includes a main dish, a healthy meal. This is what a healthy meal includes. And I can help be in charge and and have some say in that. And you're just kind of guiding those choices, but using it as a, like a really natural teaching tool. Teaching Yeah. Yeah. And I think that does help. Like you can still have that food like who doesn't love pizza? What else can we have with it? I, I really like that. And you also touched on another topic I wanted to talk about, which is food is a reward. And I was naively one of those parents who were like, my kids won't eat sugar and all this stuff. And then that, that creep happened where sugar's now it's a treat for like fun days. Like let's go get ice cream or let's have popsicles. And it's also a reward too. And, and I, and now it's become like a a way to bond or make something special. And specifically with one of my kids, it's really hard to find ways now to get them excited and feel like they've been rewarded. Like I have one kid in particular, I told you who really loves sugar, but during COVID, I noticed that we just kept bringing in the treats. It became at least a daily occurrence where we were turning to food to be our fun or our reward. What do you think is good for parents to know about being in that kind of cycle? Yeah, well, first of all, COVID, I, I mean, let's just throw that out. As right, as right. <laughs> but um, but I, I definitely know many people who got into a similar cycle and pattern and mm-hmm. habit during that time for sure. Um, yeah, so this is where, you know, we think about like the vast majority of the food that's coming in our house is going to be really nutrient dense, healthy type of food. And 
only a small portion is is less healthy, right? So yeah. the options are just limited at home. That doesn't mean that you're not going to, that your kids are never going to have Doritos or they're never going to have um, ice cream. It just means that it's a little less frequent. So right. I would start kind of phasing out the number of options that you have in your house, not throwing it away, but just kind of ne- not necessarily replacing it as, as it gets used up. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, now, especially that there are more opportunities to do more things, incorporate other positive rewards, like which kids, kids typically what they want from their parents is time with them. So, Mm. oh, we're going to have game night tonight. That's a treat. We're going to have movie night. That's a treat. Sometimes we associate certain snacks with that, but putting the focus on the activity uh, and less so on the food. Um, Maybe we're going to have a bike ride or a special hike or um, whatever it is. And those things can be the rewards or the treats Mm -hmm. as opposed to actual food. Yeah. It's hard to start looking at these other sources as just as fun because, well, you don't get as much dopamine for sure. But the the other thing is you have to be really intentional. Like I have found myself over the years making lists on things to do because I know if I don't have like a plan or like things I can turn to activities or whatever, I'm just going to default to here's some cookies guys. (laughs) Right, Right. So I've told you that I have, my daughter loves sugar and it's a worry for me. I really worry how she's going to handle it going forward. Like she sneaks it. She asks for it all the time. She'll spend all of her money on it. She'll pick it over all other things. And I get it. Like we talk about it, me and her, and I'm like, of course you love sugar. It makes sense. It's so delicious. (laughs) Like I get it. But how can parents, and this is a, like a selfish question because I want the answer. Mm -hmm. How can parents talk to their kids about how awesome and delicious treats are, but supporting them to make these good decisions without it being uh, another source of shame in their life. Right. Right. It's, it's definitely a tricky, a tricky topic. And I know that's why you're, you're asking me. Yeah. (laughs) You're handling it very, very nicely. I also like to use the example, maybe not um, like, I wouldn't necessarily pull your daughter aside and say these types, like these types of things, but Mm -hmm. because you might feel um, pinpointed or ashamed, but like instead, um, you know, make comments like, oh, I feel so healthy when I eat salad Um, Mm -hmm. and put the focus more on like, um, the, the functionality and, and how the effect of certain foods, like the positive effect that it can have. Now, I'm not saying that every time you eat that you should say something like that, but if you start kind of sprinkling it through your day, and like I said, not to single any one person out, but just like in general, oh, this meal looks so healthy. Oh, wow. Um, let's say if you get one of your children involved in the meal plan, you say, wow, you really, you really planned a healthy balanced meal Mm -hmm. Um, and things like that. And just keep that language really positive. Right. So that you're sort of um, passively (laughs) (laughs) messages in there that 
oh yeah, this is what these foods do for my body. And this is how I feel. Um, and that type of thing, just to put more emphasis and positivity around the foods that you want to right. be having that. Mm -hmm. And then also yeah. get her involved, get her involved in the meal planning of the, the actual meal. Yeah. Not just yeah. like baking cookies. Yeah. Those are such good points. And, and I really appreciate the idea of focusing on the functionality of food. When I became an adult and realized that food can be medicine, like food can make you healthy and like heal you. I was, there was a part of me that actually was angry that my parents never taught me good eating habits and no, no shame to them because they were really doing the best they could with what they knew. But I grew up in a home that had um, like lots of junk food and freezers full of ice cream. And it wasn't something that I wanted much of, like it was always there and I never wanted it very much. So I do kind of wonder when I look at my own children and I, I give them, um, like, like I restrict how much sugar they have or like, like junk food, so to say, like we'll have Friday night treat where they can pick it out or like, they just know it's happens at certain times and they don't get free reign, but is there a benefit to like, removing restrictions and just kind of letting kids have access to whatever food, like if there's treats in the house. Yeah, there's definitely a body of professionals that teach that way. Okay. I don't tend to be one of them. I, I think they're sort of like a happy medium, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, in our house, most people would come in our house and say, you don't have any like quote unquote, good food, but yeah. well, like, <laughs> um, it's just, you know, probably, well, definitely less than the average household, I would say. Mm -hmm. right. Um, I know I, one of my friends has like, um, a rule where like every time she goes to the grocery store, each kid can choose two snacks or something like that. And they can eat it whenever they want, mm -hmm. but if they, once they eat it, it's all done. That kind okay. Of, and that seems to work really well for them. <laughs> they, all of their kids seem to kind of, um, I don't know, I guess ration off their, their snacky foods. Right. <laughs> um, they see, it seems to work really well for them, but I would say in my household, we just don't bring a lot of stuff in, but you know it's not like we never have ice cream in the house. It's not like we never have chips in the house. Like we have all of those things, but just probably not without any kind of regularity and probably they're not there at the same time, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and you're right. Like I could probably find evidence that either approach is right. And just, I think that's what a lot of parenting comes down to is knowing there's these two extremes and where do you want to land in the you're middle? So rich, yeah. Yeah. I like that idea though. Cause my kids always ask for fruit roll-ups or wagon wheels. And I remember wanting those as a kid and thinking like, when I have that in my lunch, life will be good and everything will be perfect. <laughs> but I don't know. And so I like that idea of like, here guys, here's this for the week and do with it what you will. And I, it would kind of be like a fascinating 
psychological experiment to watch what they do. And I can kind of predict what each of my three kids would do differently. Like one would barter them, one would save them, one would probably eat them all at once and then try to get other kids. Like (laughs) it would kind of be a fascinating thing to do. But yeah, I really just hear you saying like, watch what you're bringing into your house. Focus on like the the functionality of it and i know that family like your your adventures in feeding my family and so i know that there's just like this culture that we share as a family around food and just being really intentional about developing that culture on purpose is what i hear you saying do you think Absolutely. there's anything else to wrap up with that you think we can do to support our kids having a healthy relationship to their food I think overall that we as parents are the ultimate role models and we get to build it how we want it to, to look. Mm-hmm. So um, the unfortunate truth, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can be good and it can be bad. It yeah. can be a lot of pressure, but it can also be really good. Sure. And, and we can build, we can build our meals to look how we want to look. We can build our eating habits, how we want it to look. And, mm-hmm. um, just like you said, that takes a little bit of intentionality and planning and initially can be overwhelming if it's requires a lot of changes or you want it to look different than how it looks right now, mm-hmm. but certainly with consistency and positivity, it changes over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's just like, let's start small and let's just keep doing the work and look back and see changes. So you mentioned earlier, make it, make a plan. I think that's just like a superpower we can all bring into our lives, especially when it comes to food. And then you're not, it's like 4 PM. I'm going to eat some like heated up hot dog wieners over the sink with ketchup on them. You know, well, no shame. If you want to do that, that's sometimes delicious, but having a plan, like you just feel like you're in control instead of it kind of controlling you, so to speak. So is there any other like one simple thing that moms can do this week to just feel like they have a healthy control over their food? Awesome. Know that you can make healthy meals with little preparation time. It is okay to use frozen veggie burgers and pair that with some frozen peas and, um, (laughs) put it on a bun and you've got a meal right on. What are you going to have for dinner tonight? What are we having? So it's Memorial day here. So we're a little off schedule. Um, I, so this is really funny. My kids laugh at me all the time. I make my grocery list once a week. So I did it on Friday. Yeah. And when I do that, I also make my, um, uh, make them menu plan for the week. Once I do it, I often forget what's on that list <laughs> until it's time to come about <laughs> right together. So a lot of times I forget. And to be quite honest, I don't remember, but I know there's something on that list. Yeah. <laughs> so I, know, I, I know there's a corn and blueberry salad. Oh, that sounds so good. It's really good. It's a surprising combination. That's really good, but I forgot what else there is. So I'm going to have to get back to you, Shauna. Okay. I'll post it when I post this episode. (laughs) Thanks so much for bringing all of your wisdom, all of your encouragement, all of your insights to us. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram and I have a Facebook group of the same name and podcast of the same name, Mm -hmm. Adventures in Feeding My Fam. And Mm -hmm. you can 
you're welcome to reach out to me with any questions. Um, I'm always here to help. Right on. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Andrea. I encourage you guys to go check out her podcast and check out her Facebook group. If you had questions after listening to this, go into her Facebook group, ask her, and check out her videos in her group. She's shared cooking videos, she shares challenges, and she shares a lot of really helpful mindsets and ideas that can just help you feed yourself and feed your family. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Have a great week, friends. Bye.